Hey, everybody. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. That was fantastic, right? So, so that's, that's the new single by John Mayer, by the way. And I don't even know if he knows it, but I think uh, it's a bit prophetic. I think he's a little bit of a prophet, right? And I, I mean that in the way that, uh, like, good prophets, uh, are, you know, it's timely message. It's very timely, and it's very honest. It's very truthful. And that's the kind of song that I hear and I need to pull over at the side of the road and think for a while or pray or cry or punch myself in the face repeatedly. Like <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that makes me think. And it's funny. So we're in the, the third chapter of the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah in the Bible. And uh, it's a story I heard so many times uh, growing up and, and I've talked about it so many times. And it's a story that keeps on giving. I, every time I come back to it, I, I'm convicted about something. And in the last couple of weeks reading the story, I'm just like, ah, this is, how, how do I keep picking up new things in this story? It's four chapters long. It's amazing. But that, that's, what, that's what happens with these stories. Like it, it, people who say that this is outdated or it's not timely or it was for a different time and place, I don't know. I don't know. When I crack this book open, uh, these stories are alive, right? You spend time with them, they are alive, and they are very timely and very uh, prophetic. They are very truthful. They are very for now. So we are in chapter 3 of Jonah, and uh, today is, uh, the the title of this is Want to Hear a Joke? And that's because we're, we're actually going to hear a joke in this. This book is full of jokes. It's full of puns. It's full of witty humor. It's full of sarcasm. It's a satirical story. And uh, so we're going to explore what happens uh, in chapter 3 today and uh, the super funny thing, uh, the unexpected thing that happens. And it's kind of a jokes on you kind of a joke. I, I, I don't know if you've ever pulled a joke on somebody and it's come right back on you or if you've seen it happen. I'll give you a couple examples in my life. Uh, My friends wanted to pull a joke on me uh, a few years ago and they decided they were going to TP my house. Uh, My wife and I lived up in Grass Valley, actually in Cedar Ridge, but pretty much uh, Grass Valley. And we had a ton of trees and there were like a thousand rolls of toilet paper going every which way in in the trees in our yard. They didn't know that I was watching them, but like I heard, they startled me and I was watching out the window all of this toilet. And I didn't stop it. No, 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 no. I made a list of everyone who was doing it. <laughs> I looked at every single person. And I was like, I got you. I got you. And uh, so it was payback time, right? So my friend Ken, who was like the ringleader of this whole thing, he had this really classic late 1950s Chevy convertible red. It was the kind of car that like you go out and you polish every day and you talk to it as if it has a heartbeat. That's how he treated it. I put it in the Sacramento Bee for sale for 500 bucks. Call Ken after nine. You don't mess with me, right? So, right. His wife didn't appreciate it very much, but it was like jokes on you, Ken. All right, came right back on you. Um, Another joke, uh, this is horrible. I'm a horrible person. I'm admitting that right now. Uh, uh, when, my, when I was young, uh, late 70s, early 80s, I know, I know, it's hard to believe I was even alive then, but, you know, uh, but my brother was being uh, a particular brand of numbskull on this, uh, on this day, and, uh, and he just, he needed to get it. He, he had it coming to him. And so uh, there was a lot of fear in the air at that time in the world, uh, uh, you know, in history. Uh, there was a lot of talk, a lot of movies, and a lot of books coming out about Jesus returning and taking people out of the world and leaving people behind. Like, it was, it was a big scary thing in the church then. And my brother was super-de-duper scared about being left behind. He thought he was going to be one of those people. And so, of course, I use that to my advantage. I mean, who would 
wouldn't. What kind of a brother would not want to use that to his advantage? And so uh, my brother on one day was uh, being a jerk, and uh, he, he wanted to ride my bike. He kept taunting me, and, you know, and uh, it was my new bike. Anyway, the, that's how I remember the story. Uh, and so my dad had a bunch of cars on top of our property. It was that kind of a house I grew up in. We lived up in Grass Valley, and there were cars everywhere, also known as Homes for Kittens, generations upon generations. Anyway, um, so there was one car up there in Monte Carlo Park there, and I decided I was going to take off all of my clothes and lie them in the road as if I had disappeared out of my clothing and hide in the back of the Monte Carlo so when my brother came down the road, then he was going to see my clothes there. And a fantastic idea, right? You wish you would have thought of it. So my brother comes down the road, and there I am hiding, uh, buck naked in the back of Dad's Monte Carlo, and there's my brother, and he is freaking out. I mean, he, he doesn't know what's happening. He's calling my name, and he runs down to the house uh, to tell my mom. I don't know why he thought my mom would still be there. You know, she'd be, she'd be one of the first ones to go. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he he runs down there as fate would have it. I couldn't have landed any better than this. Uh, we had one phone in our home and it was in uh, the other room, my bedroom actually, in this tiny house that I grew up in. And we didn't have a message machine uh, back then. My mom was vacuuming the house and she heard the phone ring in the other room and it kept ringing. So she thought there was an emergency. So super fast, instead of turning off the vacuum, she just propped it up right, left it running and went to go get the phone in the other room. So so here comes my brother about, you know, he's halfway to a heart attack and he runs in the room and there's, there's the vacuum just sitting in the middle and he falls on the floor. Well, the joke was on me because my parents put me on restriction until I was 35 years old. And, uh, and I had to watch my brother ride my bike all day long, just pointing his finger at me. So, uh, Anyway, that was all just for fun. Today is a uh, jokes on you kind of a part of the book of Jonah. Now, in Sunday school, when I first heard the story of Jonah, I imagined that Jonah, after he was spat up out of the fish, which Sean talked about last week, the crazy kooky prayer that he prays in the belly of the fish, go back and listen to the last few weeks. It's amazing, the story of Jonah. You can find those at lakesidechurch.com. You can listen to it or you can watch the video. Uh, but I had this idea when I heard this story that Jonah was spat up out of the fish right on the shores of Nineveh, the place that he was supposed to go. Um, by the way, super fun. Like, I love the wording, and there's wordplay all over this book. The word uh, vomited Jonah on, onto dry land or spit Jonah onto dry land is the word in Hebrew, ka. And it's supposed to sound like what was happening. <laughs> so it's like Jonah got ka. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that. You're in the Shamu. You're in the Shamu splash zone here, man. Sorry. We're talking Hebrew words. You're going to get wet today. So, uh, uh, it's, uh, so anyway, I, th- I thought that he showed up right on the shore of Nineveh, but it's impossible. Look at the, the map and we can see what's happening. So he was a prophet in the northern kingdom uh, uh, and he went down to Joppa. He gets on a boat and he starts going over to Tarshish, right, on the southern coast of Spain there. He, he ends up in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So we're guessing about there a storm comes and, and then a giant fish comes and swallows him, right? And uh, a giant Chinook salmon, as the case may be. I don't know what that is, but he gets... Now, uh, 
look at where Nineveh is. It's, it's way over there where the, where the bee is, right? So assuming that he gets spit up right in the spot where he began in Joppa, which I think that would be a good spot to get spit up on the land uh, if God was giving him a second chance. Uh, look how far Nineveh is. It's, it's, it's a ways away. So I have this idea growing up that, uh, you know, he was, you know, just like dripping in fish juice and like was stinky and he bleached. And I even heard the story told that way, like imagine. Imagine Jonah comes in, you know, smelling like fish and bleached, but no, 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 no. That, that's, that's not how it happened. And by the way, I think he probably went home first, <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't you? If you just got spat up out of a fish, wouldn't you go home? You'd change your clothes? I would. I'd take so many showers. Like, I don't even like making mud pies as a kid. I needed to be clean all the time. I'd go find that Tom Ford cologne and put on a new shirt, and like, it's going to take me a while to get there. Um, well, so the distance between there and Nineveh, where he had to travel, if he was re- in really good shape, and he decided he was going to put in over 20 miles a day, let's say, it's, it's going to take Jonah a month plus to get to Nineveh. So he's got some time to think about what he's done. He's got some time to think about what's going to happen. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Uh, Some translations, I don't know what you're reading out there, some say uh, the message I'm going to give to you, which I think is a total fun way to think about it, right? Uh, because sometimes, sometimes God just tells us to be faithful. He just, he just tells us to go, he, period, and, and, and we don't know why. Uh, I, I think of all the times in my life where God has told me to keep encouraging someone, keep praying for someone, keep comforting someone, keep in contact with someone, because if you do that long enough, like, like something good is going to, to happen. And, and so Jonah, at this point in the story, doesn't even know really why he's going. Um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, when he first gets the message, it says, uh, go and preach against the city because its wickedness has come up before me. That's how it's translated in, in, in the NIV anyway. Other translations say, uh, proclaim upon it. Um, and this time it says proclaim to it. Now, I think that's important because I, when we hear the story of Jonah, I think we often think of him going and like wickedness has come up before God. So he's going to go, he's going to go point the finger at them, right? Or at least that's what Jonah might think, right? I'm going to go tell them what they've done wrong, right? I'm going to go point the finger at them. But but it's very clear as I read this that it, that sounds way different than proclaim to it the message I give you or proclaim to it the message I'm a, about to give you, right? If you're talking about God, if you're going to pull the God card on somebody, doesn't it feel way different if you're talking with and about rather than talking to? That feels way different for people, right? So this is, a, this is an important thing to note here. Now, I, I think that the first time Jonah hears this message, he's hearing this go speak at them, right? But even in that, even not knowing what the message is at this point, I, I think Jonah also assumes that something good is going to happen when he does that. Because this is the reason for the whole shenanigans in the first place. This is why he's, he's running. He assumes that God is a good God, and it's not going to go like Jonah wants. And actually... Spoiler alert, next week we're going to be in chapter 4, and he actually admits that. He says, ah, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. 
So that's where Jonah's head is here in the story. Now Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, this is the first time in the story, in chapter 3, this is the first time where we even get a hint of what the message might be that he's supposed to deliver, because this is a message where something is going to happen, and it's going to happen within a time frame. I think the time frame is interesting because it doesn't necessarily mean literally 40 days. Uh, 40 days shows up all throughout the Bible, and it usually means like an extended period of time. And usually in that period of time, there's some, uh, it's a time of trial, it's a time of testing, or maybe God is putting somebody on, on time out. I've been put on 40 days time out by God before. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 40 shows up all over the time, all over the place. In the book of Genesis, it rains 40 days and, and 40 nights. Moses spends 40 years in the desert uh, tending to his flocks. Uh, the children of Israel wander around the desert uh, for 40 years. The Israelites, uh, the spies, they go into the land of Canaan and, and they look around for uh, 40 days. Uh, Goliath, the, the, the giant, taunted the armies for 40 days before uh, David shows up on the scene uh, with his slingshot. The prophet Ezekiel lies on his side for 40 days to talk about uh, the waywardness of Judah and, and in kind of this uh, artistic, uh, prophetic moment. So 40 shows up all over the Bible and think of it as an extended uh, period of time. But this is the first time we hear that something is going to happen after a period of time. And now, I want to talk about the message that Jonah gives for a minute. Uh, first of all, notice this. Uh, how many days does it take to visit the city of Nineveh? Three. Yeah, we just read that. Three days, right? And it, Because it's a very large city. Uh, it also means important. That word large can also mean important. It doesn't necessarily mean that that was the circumference of the city or it took three days to walk all around it. Three in the Bible is often just a sign of completion. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. So it takes, it takes three days uh, to go in and complete this message in Nineveh. How many days does Jonah go in? He goes in one day. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. A day into a, into a city that requires three days. Now, that, that should be the first red flag for us. We should go, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. We were just told by the author that, like, to give the complete message, like, to get around to everybody, it's going to take three days. He goes in a day. That's, that's red flag number one. Red flag number two, what does Jonah say to them? In, in our English Bible, we have about seven words. In the Hebrew, it's about five words. Uh, what is that message? He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. <laughs> is anything funky about that? <laughs> Talking about fish, like something is fishy, like there, right? That is, that's weird. What's missing? What if, if you think of a prophet's message, what might be in there? Oh, maybe something about God? But that's not there. Maybe something about what's wrong? That's not there. 
maybe a way to get back and correct what's wrong, but that's not there. Not at all. It is a totally bizarre, cryptic message that he gives them. Now, Greg, you're right there. So I've already spit on you. We're we're friends today. (laughs) Imagine I just uncovered some plot that your life is going to be overthrown. Somebody's going to steal your identity. They're going to take all your money. Sorry, everyone. You're going to be destitute. Your life is going to be ruined. Let's say I just, I know these things. And I show up at your door and I knock on your door and I say, hey, man, in 40 days, watch out. And then I leave. Isn't that weird? Yeah, Yeah, you would want more. Of course. He's like, I'd want more. Of course, wouldn't we? We would be asking a bunch of questions about this. Okay, so third red flag. It gets even weirder. The wording that Jonah uses when he goes in and he gives this message, uh, he uses a word that's translated here as destroyed uh, uh, or in some uh, overthrown. Um, It can mean a bunch of different things. It It can mean destroyed. It can mean overthrown. It can mean flipped over. It can mean changed. It can mean a turning. It could mean a bunch of different things. So Jonah goes in, and he uses a totally ambiguous word to say what he thinks is going to happen, leaves out God, leaves out the way back. What do you think Jonah wants to happen? I mean, it sounds like sabotage, right? Is it possible that a prophet of God actually hated somebody enough where he would go in and try to screw the whole thing up as best as he could. Yeah. It's absolutely possible. See, when it comes to God's message, when it comes to prophetic messages, there's there's always a chance for repentance. A, A chance for repentance is always, always, always part of God's message. This is what he does. Okay, so here's the joke. This is where the other boot drops, right here. The next verse says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The Ninevites believed God that Jonah didn't even mention. Isn't that crazy? Now, this is a story about the leadest. The, the leadest? Is that a word? <laughs> No, the least and the greatest, combine them, the leadest. Uh, this is the least and the greatest coming to repentance, coming to God. God is always working out his plan. God is always calling people. God is always talking about how things can get better in the story. Jonah doesn't even mention that, and the people turn. God, God really doesn't even need Jonah. Imagine that. I'm honest, sometimes I think God needs me. Oh, you do too. Don't give me that look. (laughs) Right? Sometimes we're we're so full of ourselves. And and Jonah is full of himself through this whole story. He's bragging about who he is to the sailors. Even in the belly of the fish, for crying out loud, he's saying, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that's theirs. Yeah, those guys over there, garbage. Me, I'm going to follow through on my vow. I'm going to do what I said. 
High five, God. I'm your man. It's crazy. But the least and the greatest in this story are coming to God regardless of what Jonah is doing or saying. God is always speaking. Amen. I just think that's fantastic. We don't even know their names in the story. We know about the Ninevites. We know about a king. <laughs> we know about the sailors. The no-names. The people who don't have a voice. The people who need God. They're, they're coming to God because God is always speaking. Now, it goes on. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne He took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Usually, like in ancient stories, when you see a king rising from their throne, it means somebody's going to get the sword or the spear. But in this story, he rises from his throne and he humbles himself. And he goes down to the level of his people. So the greatest in the story comes down to the level of his people. He becomes like everyone else. And the author of the story is saying, in case you guys didn't get it, God thinks so much about repentance for everybody that even the animals in this story are saying they want to repent. (laughs) Even the animals are asked to turn back to God. (laughs) Even the animals... That is, that is crazy. See, if Jonah meant to mislead them, then the, the joke is on Jonah. I mean, God gets the last laugh. God gets the mic drop in every story. I love the king's message here. It's so eloquent. It's so full of love, repentance, It's the message, actually, that Jonah should have given. See the irony in that? That's that's why this is such a funny story. We're supposed to go, oh, oh. Now, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, evil ways... Destruction he had threatened, evil and destruction. It's the exact same word. So it's interesting because um, evil and destruction, uh, the word has other connotations. The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden that nobody's supposed to eat of, but alas, (laughs) we did. Uh, Destruction didn't happen when they ate of the fruit. Like God didn't wipe out everything. But what happened? It all went as my dad would say, wiggy-waggy-woo. It, it all went crazy. It all went haywire, right? You know what haywire means, right? Like if you've ever worked on a farm, you have a big bundle of wire, and you're going to bundle hay, and you, you cut the, the baling wire, you know, it's holding it all together. It goes, 
It goes everywhere. You want me to do that again? That's it. And that's, that's kind of what this word means. Everything goes crazy, out of control. So a, a good way to read this, by the way, because relented, uh, the word here of God, like r- relenting or, uh, and not bringing them the destruction, a good way to read this is when God saw that they were willing to turn, when God saw that their, their hearts were like, they recognized what was going on, he had, he had compassion on them. He had huge amounts of compassion on them. And the misery, the haywire, the the, the thing that was going to come, God said, if you kept going down that road, that was going to happen. But guess what? That's not going to happen. I love that. So Jonah goes in and uses a word that can mean destroyed, can mean change, can mean overturned, can mean flipped over. And what happens in this story? Exactly that. Everything changed. Oh, man. I love it. A lot of people will say this is a resurrection story, and part of that is because Jesus in in the New Testament refers to this story. They say, hey, give us a sign. Tell us who you are. Give us some signs and wonders. And Jesus says, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man be. Now, some people say, by the way, that that is Jesus saying, aha, see, a man really can be swallowed by a fish. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It doesn't He's not validating that. It can still be, it can still be a satirical story. It could, it could still be a metaphor. So just be careful when, when we put words like that in, in, into Jesus' mouth. Jesus is saying, though, look, in this story, three days and three nights, so, so am I. I'm going to be there too. Now, but what's the rest of the story? Right? Jesus, does Jesus stay for three days and three nights? Does, does, does Jesus stay in the ground? No. Now, that's the cool thing, right? That's the cool thing about the Jesus story is that we have access to Jesus because of this resurrection. And, and not only is it a, a resurrection story, it's a, it's a revolution story, the Jesus story. It's, it's that. It, because when Jesus comes on the scene... You know, one of the things that bugs me, true confessions, if I'm watching a story about Jesus and he's got an English accent and blonde hair and blue eyes and there's a butterfly perched on his shoulder and he's holding kittens, like when I see, when I see that Jesus, I get a little bit... Because Jesus is a revolutionary. He comes on the scene and the whole world is a mess it's much, not much changes, you guys. It's, it's like our world now. This is what Jesus comes into. Power-hungry people, controlling economics, controlling religion, controlling politics, keeping the people down, not giving people a voice. It's always been the same story. And Jesus comes into this, this scene, and other prophets are rising up and people are flocking. Uh, there's a prophet calling you right now. I hear it. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
People are flocking to go hear prophets like John the Baptist who have these messages that are standing up against the system. See, right? It's not just like, it's not like Sunday school is happening out in the woods with John the Baptist and, you know, he's passing out lollipops. Like, it's a revolution, and Jesus comes on the scene, and the, the world is, is upside down, and he's, he's trying to turn it right side up in, in upside down ways, by the way. Like, they don't expect that a guy's going to come on the scene, a revolutionary, a revolutionary, and say, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least, right? If you want to be the best, you have to serve. If you want to live, you have to die. Like, they're, they're not expecting that but, that. but this is a very subversive message that Jesus is giving when he comes on the scene. Why do we think they killed him? Because, because he was a threat to the power. Now, Jesus dies and he rises from the dead. Joke's on you guys. Nothing says, aha, power, you have no hold on me, than rising from the dead. Jesus has all the claim to power. And now, And way back then, in the story of Jonah, God is always inviting us into this story. Always. God is always giving a way back in. So where the system was about, the the Roman system and and Caesar is about conquering and killing and subduing and keeping people squashed. Jesus comes on the scene and he's talking about uh, giving life and giving freedom. Jesus is, is uh, standing up against religion and standing up against politics and, and power and greed. And he's talking about uh, women rising up and having a voice. And he's talking about the poor having a place. And super threatening, right? He is a revolutionary. So if, if you read stories like Jonah, or I don't know, if you just woke up this morning and you're tired of greed and you're tired of power, and you're tired of lies, and you're tired of politics, and you're tired of turning on the news or watching Facebook or whatever, and your head is just getting filled, and it feels like everything is absolutely chaotic, guess what? Jesus is your man. Because this is what this, is what this story is all about. So we say, that, that sounds fantastic. I want in on that. But, but we have to remember this, and this is super important. And we're going to drill this home next week when we look at the last part of the story of Jonah. If all of that sounds good to us, then we have to recognize that the revolution and the resurrection is for everyone. Even them. Lord, thanks for the story, and thanks that it keeps giving and giving. Oh, man, it's so good. That's, sorry, that's nervous laughter, Lord, because I'm learning so many horrible things about myself as I go through this book. Really, I, I think all of us, Lord, to some degree, we're, and, that, and that's the point. Thank you for giving us a mirror to see ourselves. Thank you for the, the words of hope. In here, Lord, you're working in spite of us. 
<laughs> You're working around us sometimes, as the case may be. Sometimes we, we step into your way. We, we try to thwart the plan. We, oh, man. But, Lord, yeah, you hold all the power. And you're constantly speaking in loving ways to a world around you, Lord. So thank you for that. Lord, remind us that as we look at the story of Jonah, we look at this person of Jonah, remind us, Lord, that we don't want to be all the things that go bad in this story. We don't want to be the angry ones. We don't want to be the ones pointing the finger. We don't want to be the ones who are giving up. We don't want to be the ones who are the sin police. We don't want to be that. We, we want to be the ones who are inviting in and, and loving and, and including and pointing the way to you. You don't have to use us, but you do. I, I'm amazed at that. Uh, thanks for the joy that we get to experience when we when we do walk alongside you, Lord, and we, we do speak with instead of at, and we do love well, thank you, Lord, that there's hope for me. We love you. Amen.